From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in energizing immediate Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Martha Croy, I do make nice games. And I'm Holly Harrison, Stephen was fired, I fired him. For this week's episode, our topics are media relations and Star Trek games. And so, if everyone's ready, let's start. Like there was a dance. <laughs> Does that happen every time? Um, Most times. You did. Yeah. The exact same dance, and I'm sorry I didn't participate. That's on me. Uh, Ace's job with that intro, Holly. Yeah. Oh, thanks. I did it. First try. <laughs> we, we may not need Steven back after all. <laughs> That's good, because as established, he's been fired. <laughs> uh, yeah, Steven is still away uh, at Anime Central. Uh, shown off his game as well as uh, Treasure Stack, uh, the, the game of the company he works for. And I'm, I hope he's having a great time because uh, we are in his absence here with Holly. Holly Woo! Harrison. Yay! That's me. <laughs> I am here. Yeah. So we, we said this on, the la- on last week's podcast, but you're like our Joan Rivers. You, you're yep. your offi- official fill-in. <laughs> so, it's an honor. Yeah. I feel touched by the depth of our friendship. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, well, maybe we'll have to revisit that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you're also here because you brought a topic with you. I did. Um, I brought something that I know about, unlike game dev, when I just kind of sit here and nod and you can't see that. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk about PR and media relations. Um, it's something I do for my job, and I know it's something that uh, people in other spaces don't like and don't understand. <laughs> Sorry, I have to interrupt the thing where I just got a message from Steven said how things going okay. <laughs> well, Steven. Poor Steven. You'll if only he out. knew how good things were going. <laughs> <laughs> okay, continue. Uh, media relations. Yep, it's a thing. People don't like it. I like it. I would love to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Holly, uh, teach Tell us. us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Share your wisdom. <laughs> it's something that you're told to do and often um, at least in settings when I've been taught to do this, I uh, just sit back and think, I have no time for this. Mm. Um, yeah. With media relations in particular, there's lots of tips about following up and building close relationships with reporters. And like that is all great. And if you can do it, you're doing it right. For me, it kind of all boils down to just sending a really good email mm-hmm. um, because there's no time to make friends with people that could benefit you when you're, when you're doing 300 other things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've heard you guys here on the podcast talk about doing the, the like do press kit.com something yeah. that you've brought up so i can just kind of skip over that and we like make a press kit you got this <laughs> um press releases if needed media pages those are all kind of boilerplate so it's nice to be able to do half the work for a reporter editor for them um not because they're lazy but because that's it's just nice to be handed like really complete information like here's some relevant statistics for why this this pitch is worth your time and here's everything you need to know about my game here's everyone who's working on it here are some screenshots ta-da you got it um so then people don't have to go on a treasure hunt to find it right right yeah making it as easy as possible yeah like don't write their headline for them but kind of give them give them a couple suggestions yeah like give them a reason exactly so that's that's all well and good. I've seen press releases done both ways in the like very traditional like for immediate release, um, and also done in really quirky, strange ways. And there's kind of I think there's a good medium where you're a person and personable, maybe in your email, but a press release doesn't have to be like a strange narrative journey <laughs> <laughs> because that that can be as much of for really like fact based reporters and editors and producers. Yeah. They're kind of like, what are you trying to do here? Um, 
So it's okay to be boring, especially if you do kind of the inverted pyramid of expect that whoever you're sending this to is going to read your headline, your subhead, and that first paragraph, and, and that's it. So like make it skimmable, put your most important stuff at the top. Um, what's most important depends on what you want, what your goals are and what you want coverage about. Um, I'll use an example of a fake game <laughs> you uh, mentioned in a previous podcast called uh, Super Chores. Does this ring a bell? <laughs> Sounds like one of ours. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just like map out super chores. <laughs> uh, Ooh, I like this. Yeah. You can like find different reasons to place it and different reporters to pitch to. So um, in theory, let's say around like spring cleaning, like this is, this is a real like awkward reach and I, I'd be sad if a reporter took you up on this, but if you were like, <laughs> so it's, it's time for spring cleaning and I'm pitching you super chores because that's about cleaning too. <laughs> right. You know, you know I've, seen, the news I've seen little tidbits from like places like Kotaku that are kind of that thinly connected. Yeah. It's like, we just cause why not? Slow you know? news day content, right? Yeah, like, like here's an eclipse game for the eclipse. Like, yeah. You know, like, I've seen that. So press kit, press release, media page. It's, I don't, it's selling it short to be like, it's easy, but you really just kind of follow a formula and then, and then you've done it right. So, Next, um, <laughs> doing your research. This is weird. I always think it's a little weird because you're supposed to be looking at people you want to pitch who are, um, say, someone's talking super chores. Someone was really on the chores game beat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be their thing. They're super into it. Or, you know, what, what they're, they like party games, something more realistic. There aren't chores games. Yeah. Um, it makes sense, of course, to reach out to them. However you want to keep this list, it can be pretty low tech. You can just have like an Excel spreadsheet that says name, outlet, um, their email address, why pitch them. And I sometimes color code them from like green are the people who are absolutely going to receive this well. Um, yellow are like my second tier. If it didn't work out, maybe these yellow people will will bring this up. And then red for like, uh, like they they talk about chore games a lot but uh, they always seem to kind of crap on them like they don't seem to like them so this might be negative press coverage but we'll keep them in our back pocket just in case mm. um, the weird thing about that at least in my in my sphere so I, I work for Goodwill Easter Seals Minnesota um, we're a hundred million dollar nonprofit, and, and it, we the two kind of uh, the two main strains of my work are there's there's thrift stores and those thrift stores fund a mission of um, helping people overcome and navigate barriers to work, whether that's um, uh, they don't have a high school diploma or GED, they have um, a background in the criminal justice system, um, they, uh, they have a disability, there, there are lots of different reasons that people have a hard time finding jobs. Um, so those are the two kinds of things that I'm looking at and I'm trying to see where I can fit a story in. But it's really weird to be like, hey, I just saw that you wrote about um, helping people with criminal backgrounds reenter the workforce. Do you want to do that again? Because <laughs> here I am and I have a story that's really related, but to my programs, like that's a little awkward. But if I see someone, this is a real example. So um, the legislative session is wrapping up or done? <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> the Minnesota legislative session. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, you work for the Capitol. You work for the government. Yeah, I am skipping out on being there this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good for you. Uh, so we had some policy priorities during the legislative session. One of them, a lot of them were around um, reentry specifically. So, um, so in Minnesota, if you have a felony conviction on your record, you can vote, but only when you're off paper. 
um, which means when you're off parole. Mm. Um, and there are other things, too, that I wish I could explain better. Anyway, so that's better than a lot of states. Like Florida, for example, if, you've, if you have a felony, you can never vote ever again. Right. Um, but here, you can be on parole. You, can, you could, could have gone f- to prison for f- four years in your 20s, and you could be on probation or parole until um, you're, like, 80, too. <laughs> like, mm. um, anyway, so I... I was able to identify different people who would write on this beat, whether they were writing about criminal justice reform or specifically um, NPR, Carrie Miller and Marchetta Fornoff had a series on criminal justice. So I was able to be like, Hey, you have this series already. Does this sound like a good topic for you? Um, and it was what I would categorize as a nice no, which I've mentioned before where they were like, that's a really good idea. And thank you for this pitch. Like people are so touched to, because the vast majority of people who are pitching, they don't have a lot of time. They just send out their mass press release and, um, reporters, editors, producers aren't super thankful for that. But mm-hmm. even even if it's a no, they're like, you know what, that's great, and I'll I'll keep you in mind for when we have to do this for the future because you seem like a good resource for this topic. And I'm like, sure, I sure am, and oh boy, <laughs> you're going to be really annoyed with me. <laughs> and like six months after, I keep coming back to you once a month to be like, hey, it's me again, Marchetta. <laughs> um, but that's that you're forming an actual relationship. Right. Without ever like having to go to coffee, I get to like hide behind my emails, which is my, <laughs> which is my favorite place to be. <laughs> <laughs> so in addition to doing research in the, like there's so much game press and, and you know, you know which websites you already like and read and it's easy to kind of um, go down the tree and find people to pitch to at each media outlet or, you can use up your like seven day trials of um, stuff that should do this for you. Mm-hmm. So there are tools like uh, I, I really wish I could tell them apart because they have a really similar name, <laughs> but um, they came up when I was doing research for something else called BuzzSumo and BuzzStream. Huh. Um, I was trying to find a platform to help me do research for an influencer marketing campaign, whole separate thing. But <laughs> they were both related to PR too. And it's nice to be able to like look in a database and be like, I want someone who writes about X at X outlet and it just be like, here you go, without you having to do a lot of research. So it can save time. But again, it's a paid service. So it's like, yeah, I'll try your trial wink and try to get <laughs> as much as you can out of those seven days. Yeah. Like once you have your, your list of people that you want to reach out to, whether it's a big list or a small list, I find it's a lot more effective to do personalized pitches and it doesn't have to be super personalized. So you don't have to write a separate three paragraph email for each person being like, this is why I really love your work and this is why I think I'm really relevant to it. It can just be... Like I have, I would always draft my emails and like the bottom, I don't know, three quarters of it is just standard. And it's like, and here's our press release link. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just the top half that I have like three different variations. So I have one that's like someone who's never written about this topic before, but I want to reach out to them for whatever reason. And there's one that's like, they've written something adjacent to this before. Um, and, And just brackets where I can fit in like your point and your piece about blah, 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 like just fully it. It's um, it's maybe a little transparent, and you can you can judge it a little bit <laughs> to to make it feel less robotic. But um, I, I heard this in a um, a webinar, so I, I wish I could like provide a link. But um, they talked about the percent open rate difference between an email that started with like "Hi Martha" versus an email that was like for immediate release. <laughs> so it makes a huge difference, even if you can just be like hi person mm. and then like a sentence that makes it look like you're a real human who's maybe actually heard of them before yeah. instead of just reaching out blindly to be like talk about my game because it's cool so that yes. makes sense and then we talked a little bit about it on the episode with Ben Hansen but like making sure you don't me- mess that up and 
personalize something and then accidentally use that again yeah. for another person. <laughs> I know. I think people are... This is, this is a weird sentence, but I think people are pretty human. And this is only from my one experience of um, in college, I applied for an internship and I fully sent the wrong, like personalized <laughs> resume to a different company. And they just, they let me know and they're like, hey, I know you're probably applying for a lot of stuff, but you sent us the wrong one. And it was embarrassing, but they were very nice about it. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. This is, this is a mean um, secret that stays in this room and on this podcast. <laughs> is sometimes, um, at my job, uh, there are people, my, my partners, they, um, something, they find something that's really newsworthy to them and they think it's worth a pitch to media and I know it's not and I know it's wasting their time. Mm-hmm. So like, if someone internally gets, a, gets an award from our parent organization, like no one cares. Like, yeah. that's, that's cool internally and like, that's great for them. Let's talk about it internally all the time. Um, <laughs> and the way I ensure that my, that my email does not get read is I just send that like, blanket press release like for immediate release um because i don't want them the way the platform that i use there there is an option to like unsubscribe even though they're not subscribed but they can it makes it really clear how they can block me and i don't want that to happen for people who i might actually want to use later yeah yeah so i'm like i hope they just don't even see this (laughs) i hope they have no idea that i'm just sending them this most terrible press release here you go yeah hopefully if you're trying to promote your game uh you can stop those from going out (laughs) Right. Yeah, don't. <laughs> exactly. Mm. But that's um, definitely useful like when you're part of a small team and you're coordinating together on a, on a marketing strategy like to, to have someone who's sort of decides these things, right? Yeah. So you don't have multiple uh, opinions kind of messing up the strategy, right? Yeah, and it's helpful to put on your like not you hat and try to look at things from the outside too. Yeah, um, yeah yes, because marketing... And comms, like my, my title at work is communications manager, and I understand that that's I don't just do communications, but I don't know where the line is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I may be fortunate that I have my fingers in so many different places that I can make sure that things um, that things match up. That if we're putting a lot of effort into getting more eyes on us online, that like if, when they find our social media pages, they're not like boo. <laughs> like <laughs> that it needs to be like populated with other things. Yeah. So you have your well crafted press kit you have a press release you do your research you know exactly who you want to reach out to um we kind of touched on this already but um being relevant and newsworthy to you does not mean newsworthy to the press um (laughs) if it feels like it's really coming out of nowhere a la uh it's it's, people are spring cleaning so talk about my chores game (laughs) it's helpful it is helpful to back things up with numbers and couch it in upcoming events so Mm -hmm. I work for Goodwill. Our big season, unlike other retailers who really focus on winter holidays, ours is Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, we are fully bonkers about Halloween. They set aside Halloween donations year-round. They have like 350,000 tons, pounds, I don't know, a lot of Halloween stuff that they, all, they roll out all of it in like August or September. Um, but there's not really a pitch in like, it's Halloween and Goodwill loves it. <laughs> um, so there's a bit of uh, working to find an angle. So something that has worked well for us on this specific topic in the past was um, we found there's, there are surveys that are put out by like the national um, retail federation. And I think Goodwill industries international also does a survey around Halloween and it found like some really big percentage. It was say like 60% um, of people prefer like funny, thoughtful, personally crafted costumes over 
buying one that's like pre-made at a store. Mm-hmm. So then we were able to like lead with that and then elbow in like the people <laughs> have have spoken and they want costumes from Goodwill. So that's why you should cover us for Halloween. Because <laughs> <laughs> again, it's kind of doing doing the work for the reporter. Like you're you're almost presenting yourself like I'm doing you a favor. Look, I have this whole press page full of relevant um, Halloween facts, stuff that it both incidentally seems to be a pitch for me. Like, oh, we could we could outfit um, all your anchors and like Minnesota themed costumes, and wouldn't that be fun? You can be Prince, and you can be Paul Bunyan, and you could be the Jolly Green Giant. I, I can't come up with any female. You can be Mary Tyler Moore. Got there, <laughs> um, but. Uh, so, so there's that, and that's mixed in with like, did you know that there's this whole campaign around um, trick or treating kids who have food allergies? And you put a teal pumpkin out on your doorstep, and it means that you're a you're you're a home that has like glow sticks or something to give out to those poor kids who can't have peanuts. Um, so, so mixing those together to be like, we're a resource to you, aren't we? So helpful. Um, that's really worked for me, and I, I think so. Thinking about it from like the games space maybe specifically for glitch like here i have a new game games press talk about it if you wanted to talk to local press you could be like hey i just released a game it's really cool did you know that there's this whole community of people making games here in minnesota that's so neat you should talk to me and then i'll have you talk to ava and like i can get a little press and glitch can get a little press and like isn't this a cool story just for you yeah the, the key takeaway sounds like it's not really news to anybody but you that you just made a game. Right. right. It's, isn't that so depressing? <laughs> it is super sad. <laughs> uh, but it's it's always, it's blanket fun though, right? Like it's yeah. not, um, if, I, if Goodwill were to um, get a new CEO, like I guess that's news to some people. Um, but like yawn, like big yawn, like <laughs> like industry publications would write about it, I guess. Yeah. New games are all inherently interesting, and if you can find a way to um, hit the reporter, who, hit is such so violent, if you can find a way <laughs> to reach out to a reporter, editor, or producer, because you know that they like games like yours, you mm-hmm. have a feeling... You've they tweeted at you that one time, and now, now you can be like, remember me? Right, um, right. Yeah, whether that connection is something about your game mm-hmm. that will hook you into the interests of that reporter, or something uh, that it's related to, either you know an event or a um, um, a concept or something yeah. something you can tie to a larger thing, um, you have to do that work to make that connection. Right? right. Yeah. There's a certain amount of paying attention to trends in general, and and if your game is somewhat reactionary to like the the social moment, that's that's kind of it sounds bad to put it that way because it's I'm sure I'm certain that it's thoughtful and it's art but also like that's like a good gimme for media you mean, yeah. like you know what's in the news a lot this tragic thing you know what my game is about that mm-hmm. um, don't you want to write about it but you can even take things that don't seem inherently newsworthy um, and make them that way so I'll use another Goodwill example last year here in Minneapolis there was um, a plastic bag ban that was going into effect. So everyone, all Minneapolis retailers were like getting ready, getting all these paper bags in. Like I think Target had a whole thing. Um, And then the legislature shut it down. They put a ban on plastic bag bans. And so everyone was like ready with their paper bags. And two days later, it was like, never mind. Mm -hmm. Your government at work. Yeah. (laughs) Like the state government decided to shut down the thing that a city government did. Martha, no comment? <laughs> I'm nonpartisanly not commenting on that. <laughs> um, 
And so, but in my in my case, we had already at Goodwill, we'd already made all the prep, and we were in a good position to reuse bags already because people bring their donations in in bags, mm-hmm. and we're like, well, why don't we just put those out front? Like, who cares? Um, normally, just pitching someone being like, Goodwill is getting rid of plastic bags. That's um, not useful at all. But I was able to pull this list of all these people who'd written directly about the plastic bag ban, about like all the ups and downs in this in this weird legislative space or people who had written about green issues more broadly if they'd like been writing about uh recycling in St. Paul who knows they were all on my list and I was able to reach out to them with the kind of here's my news and here's your pitch like my news is that Goodwill's moving forward anyway um even though we just got the go ahead to go back to plastic bags we've already made the move and forget you guys and then <laughs> the other half was like wouldn't it be cool if you could like reach out to some other business owners to see if they're maybe just going to do the same thing us as, as us. And isn't this newsworthy and relevant? And that went really well. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like a pitch in a newsroom. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I know. I found out later, the, the, one per, the first person who picked it up and went all the way with it, um, he writes for the Pioneer Press, and he said that he, he got to a certain point, um, and his editors were like, why are... This isn't news. <laughs> so I was really touched. I have, I have, I have, I should have a picture of him in like a little heart frame. Like, thank you for going all the way for my weird pitch, Frederick. You're great. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So it's um, being relevant and newsworthy doesn't, newsworthy to you, as I've said, does not mean newsworthy to the press, but you can always find a weird in as long as you don't have to have Twitter open all day to see breaking news and to like try to elbow yeah. your way in. But just being able to kind of identify big trend um, topics in general and and see how you can attach yourself in a smart way, it makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you're not, you know, you, you don't want to like trick your way into being part of the conversation, but if you can actually be part of the conversation yeah, uh, in a genuine way, then that that's better than just sort of uh, an evergreen press release. Right. That you could just release whenever it's you want to, right? Yeah, yeah. So in, in addition to the boilerplate um, press release, media kit, whatever, being human has always made a big difference for me, um, both because you manage to make personal connections with reporters you're talking to, which is cool. If they email you back at 8 p.m., you can be like, wow, you're working late, friend. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> right. Um, so Goodwill does a lot of stuff around Halloween, and we've found it somewhat effective to draw attention to one specific part of a really big media page by saying my personal favorite thing we're doing this year is we're partnering with the Soldiers Angels Treats for Troops and we're gathering after Halloween for a five-day period. We're gathering candy at stores and we're sending them to veterans. How sweet is that? Yeah, something that like was your hook into the idea or something that sounds... Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I always talk about like um, having your own story is more important than your product, right? The dev story. Yeah. So yeah, like yeah, showing your passion... And, and yeah, getting them to be excited about the thing you're excited about. And, right. And, and that could be very, very narrow and not just the broad sort of, the, yeah. the story you're pitching exactly. It could be narrower than that, right? Right. And it can be hard, like, I'm thinking of powerful personal dev stories and I how weird, it must be really weird to pitch yourself that way. That might be a good place where like a third party quote yeah. in your media kit would be really helpful. Like, man, Mark went through a lot for this. Like, you wouldn't <laughs> want to say that yourself, but if someone else can speak that for you. Have you guys ever done artist statements? Because yeah. they're they are so hard. Yeah. Because it really is just, like, it's professional narcissism. Yeah. And it's not, it's not that, like, I, I don't want to sing my praises or I'm so humble or modest. It's that 
I don't know how to convince anybody <laughs> of what I of how I feel about myself or my work. And so that's just that's the whole thing. Right? It's the yeah. old ball game, right? Yeah, it's at a certain point you just have to let yourself be like real vain. Yeah. And it's maybe not good for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In middle school, there was a whole like few months where it seemed like every project was we had to write about ourselves for some like just to practice writing about ourselves. Yeah. Uh, but I got so mad at my teacher for having us do this so many times that my last one was like a very snarkily written poem <laughs> about <laughs> and I got in big trouble for it. <laughs> uh, salty Martha. <laughs> that but sounds yeah, great though. <laughs> I mean, I'm super glad that she had a, like in retrospect, it was really useful to learn how to like write artist statements and how to write, mm-hmm. you know, it was like practicing writing a cover letter about how good you are at things and stuff like that. So yeah. it's like, it was super valuable, but I did not appreciate it. At the time. <laughs> how old did you say you were? I was in middle school. So like, 13 what a weird like yep (laughs) (laughs) oh that's funny so this one seems really obvious but you need to be organized and prepared for when you hit send because reporters are working on deadline and and when they want to hear from you they want to hear from you right away yeah i had a nightmare scenario last um summer where i'd sent i'd sent a pitch out and nothing had happened in the that first day which was fine and then um I, we had a power outage. It was the first and only time that this has happened in the building that I've worked in. Full power outage. All the lights were out. The internet was down. Everyone had to leave. And then I got home and booted my computer back up and I had an email from a reporter wanting, and I definitely had to send him up the chain to talk to someone, but I didn't have the cell phone numbers of any of the higher ups. My boss was on, she was on PTO at a twins game and I had to call her anyway and be like, help. <laughs> someone wants to talk to Brent. How do I get a hold of Brent? Nothing's working. The internet's down. Help. Um, thankfully the reporter was a really good sport and was open to pushing his deadline back a little bit. But one, one thing that's nice about having a really small team is you could probably coordinate that pretty quick. Yeah. There is a lot of work that goes into getting like some higher up from some total different department on board, especially if I, I, I work in marketing and comms. I know the value of talking to a reporter and basically all the free marketing that is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's hard to show people who are in a completely different field that that's important. They're like, Oh, can we, can we like maybe get back to him on Tuesday? And yeah. I have to be like shaking them and say, no, we, we talk to him now. Yeah. They're doing you a big favor. Yeah. Do you want a million free impressions or not? <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's a, it's a whole thing. So one, one upside of having a super small team is that, you know, you can just text each other and be like, this person wants to talk. Are yeah, you ready? Yeah. Um, Probably helps to, I mean, I would recommend if, you know, to have like a copy of your one sheet on your phone. As yeah. A PDF. Like have the materials available to you. If you're, you know, if you're a small team or a single developer and you're, you know, you know, at four in the afternoon or at 10 at night, you should be ready to be able to react to successes that you get. Right. Totally. Yeah. I hope it's never 10 PM, but <laughs> even if it is just, just do it. It's worth it. Yeah. It's always worth it. Um, so once you have everything sent out, if you want, and this is this is where I drop the ball and I'm too busy to bother, but you do have the option to follow up. I like to assume that if someone doesn't respond to my email, that they don't care and they don't want to hear from me. <laughs> but if especially if it's someone that you have any sort of relationship with, if you see an opening to like hit them up on Twitter and be like, hey, uh, I sent you a press release, you should take a look. It's um, th- This is not good phrasing. You, you might want to work on... Uh, <laughs> work on how you approach them. But, you know, um, 
something in that nature. Or I, I know um, some really more traditional uh, long-term PR folks like to get people on the phone, which yeah. again is nightmare. <laughs> like I, I, I've been ignoring my Facebook rep for, I don't know, six weeks. He emails me like twice a week and he knows my cell phone number. And I'm like, not now, Richard, I'll talk to you when I want to talk to you. Um, but following up, that's a real thing that you can do. And um, this is obvious and I should have said it from the start. You should probably establish goals for when you're uh, sending out a press release. It's pretty, if, if you have a new game, the goal is like get people to talk about my game, get which would turn into like people buying my game probably. Um, yeah. Or at minimum, they, they would have it in their memory. So when they see it, Later on a Steam sale, they're like, oh, I wanted to play that. And then you'll at least get a little money from it. Um, have a kind of a call to action, whether that's be aware of the release date or on sale now or new yeah. trailer watch. Like some specific thing and no, no when is the right time to make that push. Right. right? Yeah. And you can, you can definitely set down some like, key performance indicators if you're fancy. So um, if you do get press, that's awesome. And you can you can report out on the potential reach that it got. So I, um, I can do all of this within the PR tool that my work has paid for, which is nice, but there is a website called similar web, which you can look up and see how many, I, I don't know if it, I think it divides it out by like monthly unique visitors or something, but it can give you an idea of how effective that was. And you can use it ahead of time too. So if you want to, um, you, you know that you want to get press from like these three big gaming sites, but you have someone who's like really in your, in your niche and really makes a lot of sense to pitch. Um, you, you can look up and see if their website um, seems to be garnering enough eyes or the right kind of people ahead of time to see if it's worth the effort, like what kind of impact you're going to get for the effort of, you know, crafting your pitch. Mm -hmm. um, this is again, a lot of work, a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I didn't uh, sign up for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, if, Again, if something um, does go live, you can watch the social media interaction on the tweet that's posted of the article. That's always um, it's a good thing to me measure. And if you are checking your own analytics to your website or um, to wherever people can download your game, um, you can try to see if there's a spike in earned traffic after um, a piece goes live. Mm -hmm. In general, I would also say to be okay with failure. So... Which is disappointing, <laughs> not not for your game broadly, but for pitching. Yeah, like you you could be you could craft this perfect email to the perfect person. You have like the exact hook you want. Your your media kit is immaculate. It's full of like quotes and good stats and whatever else you need. And it can just like get swept up in the news cycle. There can be something really big that happens in gaming that week, and it, it will get lost in email. That's that's a good time to follow up, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, please ask me questions now so I don't have to monologue. <laughs> or we can just move on to Star Trek. Well, I, I mean, I think people should know where to get in touch with you because I think oh my gosh. people are going to want sort of general advice like this. Yeah. Um, if, you're, if you're open to messages. Yeah, I super am. Um, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is Hall Harris, so H-O-L-L-H-A-R-R-I-S. And... Maybe we should, no, we shouldn't put my email in the show notes. I will never find your email if you email me. Just, just tweet at me. I'll find you there. Nice. Very cool. Steven's not here. So Martha, what did we get away with? 
talking about Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, we wanted to do, well, how did this start, right? We, uh, whenever Stephen leaves the room, we talk about Star Trek. Yes. Right? And, <laughs> and then we talked about, like, maybe we should do another podcast all about Star Trek. <laughs> And that's still percolating. Um, <laughs> but we wanted to talk about Star Trek games because I played a lot growing up. And there's a lot of really interesting ones that uh, sort of uh, go in with like the history of gaming in mm-hmm. the 80s through now that I think is kind of interesting. Uh, and I'll walk through a couple of those. And then, Martha, you have a couple of ideas for Star Trek games. Yeah. That Ooh. I'm anxious to hear. And you've withheld from me. So they'll be a nice surprise. Right? <laughs> I mean, don't get your hopes up too much. <laughs> we most- blocked off a whole hour for this. <laughs> They're mostly just, I want a Star Trek version of X game. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, I'm... I cannot wait. But before that, we have to wade through some of this Star Trek game history. There's so many. I could not believe how long that list was. I can't. I guess I can't. can't. The list I made is a tiny, tiny list. Oh, my gosh. These are ones that I know about or played. Then there's like hundreds more. Um, so I want to walk through a couple of the ones that I played growing up. And then, uh, Martha, if you had any that you, could, you can add to this list as well. Um, yeah, I I had no idea that most of these existed um, because Star Trek to me was mostly the shows dressing up as Janeway and all of the toys yeah so. yeah um yeah and for me too like game i had played a lot of these games um board games and video games but they were never i was never like into any of them even though i was the biggest star trek fan they always felt like the, t- the ancillary media right and looking back at them now i'm like oh this, i'm learning i, I learn more about them now looking back than i ever did when i really played them um but okay let's get into them so the first one i want to talk about is the star trek customizable card game which Martha, you probably know best from the gag on the yeah. the, uh, that po- the podcast, the Greatest Generation, where they play war with those <laughs> those cards. So it's like Magic: The Gathering, but it was Star Trek, and it had a really interesting um, thing where you pl- you laid out a, a field uh, like a, a line of planets, and then you tra- you traveled le- uh, across them, and you had to complete missions. And on the other side of the table was your opponent a Romulan or a Klingon or whatever, um, and they were doing the same thing. So it, you would you could get into battles, but you each had your own... So it kind of felt Star trek It wasn't a straight like battle kind of game. And what was nice about it is it just had like tons of Star Trek trivia in it because it, uh, Star Trek contains so many characters, like Ensign's this and uh, Commodore's that, that you could just make little, little tiny stats for them because uh, you didn't need to know a lot about them. You need to know as much as you know to know from, from seeing an episode. And you can give them little, like, three, three numbers and a half a paragraph. And then you can have this rich universe, this deck-building thing. I always found that so fascinating. I played that with a friend of mine um, when I was young, but just one friend of mine. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get other people, too. And the only Star Trek convention I ever went to, um, I remember I also bought a bunch of, like, rare cards to add to my deck. And I don't... I, by then, I'd already... I, I was already had played the last of that game I ever would. <laughs> so it was just like, I just wanted a Jordy the Forge card and I just, you know, so there I spent the $30 on it or whatever it was. Um, yeah, so that one was really cool and um, that was the, the company that made that Decipher um, also made, um, I think I have this right, they made the uh, uh, sort of famous now VCR board game um, uh, which uh, was a, was a trend. This is, this is going to be a common theme for a lot of these Star Trek games is they were like, uh, they followed trends of their era. And this one is a VCR board game uh, where you play as a bunch of uh, uh, Starfleet uh, crew, like nameless crew, on the Enterprise during a Baryon sweep, which is the thing that you will recognize from an episode where the whole crew has to leave and they sweep the, the whole ship for particles. And, um, and uh, a Klingon takes control of the ship and then wants to take it into Klingon space and start a war. And so you have to stop them. And the whole thing is you'd watch these scenes on a VHS tape and then 
uh, he would just pop up while you were playing this board game and say like, hey, you, who's moving now? Like, you know, roll the die and if you get a bad thing, then go to the brig or something. And like that, the, it advertises like it plays different every time. But really, once How? you play it, well, because you would be in a different place on the board I guess. when the thing came up. But yeah. like you kind of knew right. what was coming. You know, it's like, oh, he just sent someone to the brig. So the next one is going to be when he does that. And I mean, even at like 10 years old, we kind of outsmarted this thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and then they've done like DVD board games where you can actually randomize uh, track uh, play. So it actually is a little bit more interesting. But uh, there were a ton of these VCR board games. And the thing that I found most interesting about that one is that it, um, I don't think it was very successful. I Mine, I have a copy and it has a collector's edition stamp on it. Because nice. oh. like everything in that era has a collector's <laughs> edition stamp. But I don't think it sold very well. They were going to make a sequel uh, starring Q. Um, didn't they make that they made something like that and it's on my list oh okay <laughs> they did another one where they it was a vcr board game that just starred uh, john delancey who plays q who's a, a omnipotent omnipotent uh, villain in, in star trek and uh he takes you to borg space and it's much more comedy because that character is like a clown yeah i right? mean i wouldn't call him necessarily a villain he's more like an anti-hero <laughs> yeah he, yeah he started out as like the most serious threat the enterprise has ever faced and then like two episodes later he's like this wacky guy who like uh, conjures like uh, stogies and and beach balls like anyway um but what was interesting about that is that i they they filmed so, um, some stuff with that actor uh, for this board game but it was never released um but the only evidence that it ever existed is a still from that footage where uh, john delancey is in a uh a, a, a referee like a soccer referee outfit uh, blowing a whistle a still from that is on a star trek collectible card game card as like an event in that game because the same company made both products, so they just had the tape playing around or something. And I think it was a while before people figured out that that wasn't from some episode, that it was just from this thing that never got released. That's it hilarious. It makes sense that that would have happened in an episode or something, you know? Anyway, I, I, I didn't know anything about that second board game, but I would have just eaten that up completely. I would have taken, like, the, the subtitle even of, these bo- of this board game was like, Star Trek The Next Generation, a VCR, interactive VCR board game, colon, a Klingon challenge. And it's like, oh, there's going to be episodes of this. Like, there'll be like 10 or 15 of them. And no, there wasn't. I was really Aww. sad about that. I've never, I'd, I'd never even, heard, I don't think I'd ever heard or interacted with VCR board games. And I, the only one I think I've ever heard of before this yeah. was fictional. And I want to say it was, on community and that's probably because the writers on community were about right it would make sense that they would know about it and it, there were yeah it was a very cowboy themed i was like who do people actually make this this is wild so thanks for confirming that that yeah it's a whole happened. genre it's crazy and the it's all there all these time board games where you had like 60 minutes or whatever to complete a thing and mostly what you would watch is you'd watch nothing on the screen it'd be like a screensaver yeah and then every now and again something would pop up right and then, and there would be just some sort of like random challenge. It sort of, it's almost, it computerizes it in a way, like it randomizes to, because it's not, it's not quite the same. You yeah. Know, you can sort of figure it out. And, um, but yeah, it was a brief trend for just a very short while. And then it burned out very, very quickly. It's so strange. I don't, I don't really know what's added that couldn't be from, in, in like any other format, like any other tool could have that like yeah. random nature of like, and now you. Yeah, think of a mechanic go. for that. Like, after every turn, you roll a die, and if it's a six, then draw an event card or something. Yeah. Like, easy peasy, right? But I think the appeal definitely was, at least for the Star Trek fan in me, is seeing the a new production yeah. and, and role-playing along with it. And, I mean, even at that age, I knew it was silly, right? And, but it was still, like, that, just that extra little appeal that you couldn't get. There was no other interactive media in that same way. 
right? Like video games didn't look that good. No. So, no. <laughs> you know, and they they, sh- they they took a weekend and shot on the actual sets of the show. Yeah. So like it looked really high production, even though it very much was not. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So like I, I totally get the appeal, but like thinking about it now with what's available to us in terms of entertainment and in terms of like experience, and like I I can't see that appealing to anybody. <laughs> but it really was a big deal back then. Do you ever play that, Martha? No. Uh, all the sort of like watch this DVD while playing were like yeah. so I so did not want to do that because I was yeah. felt I think I was like embarrassed <laughs> like I would it, it's like I don't know for some reason it sets off anxiety for me to yeah. like have a thing going I don't know just it does make you like you have to role play a little bit you get a little sticker of a Starfleet badge you put on your chest and when the, when the Klingon pops up and goes you're the one who's moving now you have to like tap your badge and go yes captain because like he's like you know uh, humiliating you uh. and and if you don't nothing happens but like that's those are the rules <laughs> like I, and I don't really like participatory board games that yeah. much but like a lot of those VCR board games had that where they encouraged you to play along with it you know um, there were a lot of like um, like uh, medieval themed and horror themed ones as well that all had different ways of making you look stupid. Um, <laughs> yeah, not into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there was also a DS9 board game that was uh, um, Martha. You'd be interested in this. I kind of want to track down a copy because it was released in 1998, which huh. is which is notable because a lot of the licensed Star Trek stuff, especially the toys and games aisle stuff, they stopped doing that in like 95, 96 ish. Be, um, like, uh, like for Deep Space Nine fans, like I would love to get like a set of action figures from like the Deep Space Nine cast as I know them from like the later seasons with the gray outfits and everything. But um, they released a ton of those toys in '93 when the show started, and then never again. So like they just stopped doing it because Deep Space Nine wasn't really a kids show. Like it's, it was started out at the height of Star Trek's popularity, and so a lot of these licensed properties dried up as Star Trek entered its sort of like waning years at the end of the 90s. Um, but this board game is features like the end series of, of DS9. Huh. I don't know how interesting this is to non-Star Trek fans, but to me I found that really interesting because I look back at a lot of my old Star Trek toys and I aged out of them at the exact time that the, that, that industry stopped making them. So it's kind of like, so I keep thinking to myself like, oh, I wonder what they made after I stopped buying them, but none, they just stopped making them. Uh, and so uh, uh, I, I always found that sort of interesting. It's sort of a lot of that, that ancillary material of the, the uh, early to mid 90s captured the moment of Star Trek's popularity. Um, and then everything else you think of that era of Star Trek production really isn't captured in a lot of those, those licensed materials. That must have been around the time that I got banned from going to stores. Um, <laughs> Wait. What did you do? <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> well, my, it was my parents' ban. Yeah, um, I assume that they were like, don't let this hooligan You didn't like bite the manager again. or something. Like. No, no, no. So when I went to a store, I would get like very... I guess it was part of anxiety where I'd have to be like, well, I, we're at a store, which means I have to get something, which means I have to figure out what I want. Oh, no. And... <laughs> Um, so I was just like a complete brat because I would pick something and be like, this is the, this is the hill I'm dying on and none of you can stop me. But it was kind of a relief and my parents were like, we're just not taking you to any store ever for like four years. And you were like, makes sense. Got it. Yeah. We're like, yes, parents. At a certain point, did they decide you were ready for the store again or did you have to like pitch them and be like, I think it's time, mom and dad. Um, I think it just naturally... Like as I matured into a person that, uh, as opposed to the non-person you were yeah. under a certain <laughs> the gremlin that I was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I kind of appreciated them being like no. But Star Trek toys were a thing I remember being like, "This is what I want. <laughs> this is what we're getting." 
they must have gone out of style when yeah i i it's uh, there was a time when i was in i think high school when i was when i was like i want to go see how those are doing like <laughs> maybe pick up one or two for old time's sake and they're just all gone and like it's it's such a strange thing it, I mean, you think of like the toy aisle now, like Star Trek doesn't make any sense for the toy aisle. It just really doesn't. Mm-mm. It was so popular in like 94 though. Like it just had, it, just, it broke through its natural, like you can't really, you can't really fight the two characters exactly. You have to put them in chairs and talk diplomatically at each other. Like <laughs> it's, it's, they weren't a good candidate for action figures. And so it, it just, it, it reminds me of like how big a deal it was in that time uh, and how it very quickly stopped being that. Um, okay, let's move on to video games. Yeah. Those are more interesting, and they, and they did keep making those all through the you know the turn of the century. Although I didn't play a lot of video games in the, around 2000, so um, a lot of these are, were, were sort of new to me. But the ones I remember growing up were all made by Simon and Schuster, um, which was uh, they're a book publisher, and they hmm, made yeah, they published a lot of the Star Trek like uh, nonfiction stuff. So like the behind the scenes materials or like the technical manuals, like the in universe nonfiction. Uh, that I really liked as a kid, uh, and like the Star Trek Encyclopedia and all that, and they made heavy use of QuickTime, right? Like video codec to like to showcase uh, interactive stuff. And uh, the one I remember, or the couple that I remember, the one is the, the Star Trek Interactive Technical Manual, which is just basically walk around the Enterprise and look at those panels. Like that was so thrilling for little me. Like, is that a video game, or is that like a? Encyclopedia on a CD. Well, I mean, I would have said video game when I was young, but now I admit. Really. <laughs> that sounds. It sounds good though. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's it, something it, I would. It love. tried to take those those like printed materials that they did sell a lot of and try to make it feel Star Trekky, feel yeah. inter- like you're really using the Enterprise computer. And it did this sort of okay job of it, but it used a technology called QuickTime VR, which was its name, <laughs> which was 360 sure. video that you moved with your mouse. At like, I think, I want to say, at a single viewport, like 120 uh, pixel high resolution. You know, I think I remember seeing this. Yeah. And these are, this, they, they took these photospheres of the sets of the show before they tore all the sets down in 1994 when, the, when Next Generation ended. And that, those, those videos, low res as they are, are like the only, are like the best photographic uh, record of many of the places on the Enterprise. There's tons of set photos and promotional things, but not very little of it was maintained for like uh, recreation purposes, right? Or for historical record, which is like, it's a TV show. So you just, you just want your press photos, you know? Um, but those ones, like those 360s, gave a lot of like fans who were then made 3D models of the sets later on. They gave them a lot of their information yeah. to actually put those things back together. Um, it's kind of difficult to look at now, but... But I, I just find it's called QuickTime VR. I just think, what the silliest thing for anything. Like, <laughs> I found that funny. Um, but that, that was, a, but that that video technology was used elsewhere. Did you guys ever play any like materials like Encarta or any of the other CD-ROM that stuff? That sounds really familiar. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like it used. That was a lot of that stuff. And that again, it's it's playing into these trends of what was you know computer technology. I, I think of um, from a purely like marketing standpoint and i think about people being like millennials and and they've everyone's forgotten that there's a generation after millennials so but i haven't so like millennials (laughs) and gen z they really want like interactive experiences and it's weird to sit back now and realize that like me as a child before i was called a millennial that's what they were delivering to me already they're like these gen yers they want they want interactive experiences yeah so you saying that kind of i sat back was like oh i huh (laughs) Yeah, there's a, a technology has this interesting um, sort of sense of forgetfulness, 
right? Yeah. It's what do they say about Silicon Valley? Like every month they'll invent something that already exists. Like, <laughs> hmm. like Uber, you invented the taxi. Like right. you know, get over yourself, <laughs> yeah. right? Or like every, every other month, some startup will invent the bus right. yeah. and think that they just came up with something like, why hasn't anyone thought of this? You know, like, yeah. Cause it's, it already exists and it's called the library. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> um, but that's definitely true of a lot of interactive media and video games where like, you know, it's, it's, we've had this stuff for a while and it, there was innovation it, it long ago, you know? Um, yeah, everything, nothing's new under the sun, I suppose. Um, but so Simon and Schuster, they made a couple of actual proper games. And the, the one that I remember was a game called Star Trek Klingon, which was a, actually an episode of TV, uh, episode of Star Trek, sort of. Uh, it was all took place in like on the uh, on the Klingon homeworld, and it was a choose your own adventure video story. So the the video would play, you'd watch like five or ten minutes, and then it would pause, and then your mouse cursor would turn into this spinning dagger, and then you'd have to click uh, somewhere on the screen to to decide your choice. And the the game uh, you you were like a human in a holodeck simulation, so it was learning what it was like to be Klingon, and they called it immersion studies. And you you take the That's role. Awesome. You take the role of a Klingon going through a, like a, a ceremony and there's a murder and you need to help solve the murder, but you have to do it like a Klingon. You can't do it like a human. And so every choice you make, you're like, what would a Klingon do in this choice? It actually kind of worked. It like made you feel a little, and it was directed by Jonathan Frakes, uh, who was played Riker on Next Generation and directed a lot of Star Trek episodes. And, and it's still directing. Yeah, he's directing some of the new Star Trek as well. So it actually is pretty good. It starred a couple of the actors who played Klingons on the show over the years, but it didn't start any of the original Star Trek cast. It was very much a expanded universe kind of thing which star trek could do in those days like you could you could sell a product that says here's the thing for this license you like it stars no one in it you've ever heard of and it's this like side story and you know but it's part of that world that world building was so huge and that is where they did the 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 sequel to that was called star trek borg and it starred q yeah so that's the one you were thinking yeah yeah and they use they use a lot of the sets on Voyager uh, uh, for that one. Yeah. Um, but I never I never played that one. But the thing about Star Trek Klingon that was interesting it was a two disc set for all of the video content again QuickTime, and the um, the third disc uh, of it was called uh, Klingon Language Lab, and it was literally just a piece of software. It's like Duolingo for Klingon, although there is now Duolingo for Klingon. <laughs> but it was a piece of software uh, that is really just taught you how to how to speak Klingon and included uh, the, the package also included a little uh, abridged version of the Klingon dictionary. And so that's so awesome. That is so awesome. <laughs> like, and it's, I think that's still, I think it was a DOS game. So I think you could still emulate it, but the disc itself could also be played in a CD player and it just had like phrases and stuff. It was like a phrase book. Um, so it's still, <laughs> I, I should dig it up. Um, I love that. I'm just, I'm imagining all the parents being like, Oh, little Billy's gonna learn a language yeah. and then see what it was. Oh, God, yeah. again. Well, <laughs> the thing that it it what worked on me as a little kid was that mix between like entertainment and infotainment and stuff. Like I really bought into that, and all the Simon and Schuster products, a lot of them were very much like that. This idea of like, yes, it's a game, but we're just a a bit more serious about it. Yeah, even though it was like just in service of like your Star Trek fandom. Like it wasn't quite the they didn't. They didn't like stoop to calling it just a video game, right? It was something other than that, um, which I found just super fascinating. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, so we can go on to now the ones that I'm not the ones that I've not played, uh, but the ones that are otherwise notable. And I think some of them are really interesting about how um, and they touch on different topics. And one of these was a tactical battle game from the '70s, uh, which is like a, a tabletop wargaming. 
and it was uh, it was based on Star Trek, and this was before any of the Star Trek movies. So it was like the um, they got the license for the Star Trek TV show, and they started building this thing, and uh, it was relatively popular with that community, wargaming community. But then they started adding different factions and alien races and backstory, and then the Star Trek people were like, "Well, we've, we're going to do movies now, so none of we're not doing any of that." And they're like, "Okay," and they just split off. So it's this thing called the Starfleet Universe, which is the Star Trek universe as it existed in 1979 and then with a bunch of its own history and stuff. And it includes this tabletop wargaming game. It, it has a role-playing game. It has a small-scale tactics simulator. There is a ton of these games, but they're all very small market, um, like uh, um, not low print exactly, but it's very, very niche products. But they've been around, very, been around for a long time. You can go and buy new products in this like at your fr- local, fr- your friendly local gaming store today, and they just call it the Starfleet Universe, and it has a picture of the Enterprise on it, and you're like, oh, so that's Star Trek, but like, it's not. It's it's utterly bizarre. Huh. I didn't learn about this till a couple years ago, but I just I just do- dove into like all the differences and how they did it, and how their little universe that they built is very much this 1950s idea of sci-fi, of military sci-fi, is what it was. And it, I mean, it, it does not read as Star Trek to me at all in a way that kind of like makes me upset a little bit. Like the Star Trek's not about any of that stuff, but because of the, this universe was built around these games and what was useful for the, the player interactions and the story and the factions and all that in the games, it, ha- it does make its own kind of sense, but it also has like the Enterprise and the planet Vulcan and as officially, because they still have that license as ne- uh, uh, negotiated back when. I find that crazy. I, I wonder if, I, I got to think, is there anything else, any other big example of something like that? No, that's like what I've been trying to think of. Yeah. The big fandom that I was a part of as a kid was Harry Potter. Uh-huh. And because that all like filtered down from one brain, nothing, it never got that big. Like yeah. it, it didn't split off into things because J.K. Rowling was, was the person who made the rules. Yeah. And so it's fascinating to hear that not only did it, were there all these properties in general, but that one that's, split off so much that like they have this entirely different canon and everyone's just like big shrug that's <laughs> yeah that's wild that's one yeah. of the things i've always liked about star trek is that it is this big thing that has many hands and minds on it and so what holds it together is sort of a general principle and concept which is a, a from a single artist you tend to find different things can guide a, a long-running work if it's the single mind they um rather than this sort of this general feeling and reinterpretations of those concepts and novel I- approaches to it and i've always thought that was one of the strengths of star trek that even like a big thing like star wars with its many directors now and and like corporate ownership it still doesn't have well, diversity of thought in it i know? mean it did in the expanded universe which is now well, no longer oh, yeah, no yeah, longer canon true. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. No, yeah, to be fair, that's basically exactly what I'm talking about. It's yeah. that kind of expanded sort of thing. I guess just with Star Trek, it was more on the first tier stuff. Uh, uh, w- 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 had that much uh, contributions from different people. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, so what else we got here? Um, so uh, a couple of games that uh, were sort of interesting in the uh, early 90s um, were like PC DOS games. The sort of adventure style games, and they they were uh, the first one. Uh, there's a couple of them, but the uh, biggest, the one people know of is Star Trek 25th Anniversary, and then uh, the follow up Star Trek Judgment Rights. And these were all uh, uh, starred the original series cast, and they featured voice acting from them. And this is 1993, so it would be the last time they ever worked together on all of them together on one project. And um, the the games were these episodic things, so it would be like the the game was a season of television. And it had like eight episodes or something, and the, each one were different missions. They would like tie together a little bit. They'd have like th- plot threads that would run through. 
um, and then they'd have like a conclusion. And it's kind of an interesting format. And uh, Judgment Rights in particular was notable because you could make battles optional. So um, it was uh, it, it had more of a kind of um, a more of a role playing element to it, which is sort of interesting. And again, like there were DOS games of that period were kind of like that. Like it really was very much of that era. Interplay made them, and they made a lot of games of that type. And they made a couple of next generation ones. I think I've talked to you about this one, Martha. Uh, a Final Unity it was a game I played, uh, which is the next generation game that was very much like that. Did I not talk to you about that? Um, was that the one that I played that turned out to have a big bug in it? Or at least on my copy, could have. Uh, it's it start all the all the next generation cast, and it was like an episode of the show, and you'd you'd go on away missions, and you'd assign a crew, and it had like, all the voice acting and stuff like that. And there was like you you could shoot a phaser, but it was like not a common thing you did. It really felt like the sort of staid yeah. kind of uh, diplomatic sci-fi that next generation really was. Um, and I that was made by a company called Spectrum Holobyte. And they were going to make something like that for the 3DO. They had a license to make like a dozen Star Trek games. They were going to make, there was a, um, a, an article, a little blurb that said, like, yep, they got the license. They're going to make a, 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 like something like four or five Star Trek games a year, starting with this 3DO masterpiece. And that, oh, they only ever made that one game for, for DOS. Um, but I mean, what, a, what would be an interesting world to have like a lot of that content? Um, because those things were written, those games were written by uh, writers on the show. Uh, Final Unity was written by Naren Shankar, uh, who was a writer on Next Generation and now is an executive producer on The Expanse, uh, which recently got canceled. <laughs> so, so sad. Um, but th- those things had like bona fides in a way that like video games of that era didn't. You know, I don't think. You know what I mean? Like they felt like they were more, much more connected in this expanded universe than other. They, they weren't cast off as like just licensed products exactly the same way. Right. You know? That actual involvement from the show people yeah yeah and the last one of this type was called secret of vulcan fury which is the dumbest <laughs> such a stupid name it sounds it. it sounds so like um it sounds like an exercise tape a little bit <laughs> it sounds like john carter of mars you know yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> okay everybody now do your stretches <laughs> the secret to vulcan Okay, okay. Yeah, carry, yeah, yeah, carry yeah. on. <laughs> so, um, so this one, uh, DC Fontana wrote this one. Who was she was the uh, script editor on the original series, and she wrote on Next Generation season one, and she's very much a keeper of the flame of like the the core, the original, the, like the original Star Trek writers team. Um, but this one never really was released. It was this incredibly high end production. It got they they did um, uh, hours and hours of voice recordings of all the original cast. So this was this was the last project they all worked on together in 1999. Uh, even though it was never released, they um, they did these 3D CGI models of all the characters' faces, and they were going to do videos in the final product because nothing could render that high. And what they did was they they the plan was is they would do stop motion animation with like clay models. And for all of the all of the things, an hour they plan like seven hours of, of of video, and then they would they would work over them and do CG and comp- do compositing. And it's not totally clear what their process was going to be because they got about five percent of that done before they just shut it down. Yeah, no like, way. It was yeah, they spent way too much sounds... money. It was just a bad workflow. It was seemed really innovative, but then they just like it was just. Why terrible. didn't they talk to the mist people? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but they, I mean, well, that's the thing is the mist people could never do um, uh, realistic uh, um, uh, humanoid models. They had actors on video. Yeah, I know. Again, quick time, but you couldn't do that with the original Star Trek cast in 1999. Oh, right. Yeah. So like this was their way. I mean, it all made sense <laughs> to them when they were doing it, but like no, not good. There's like an interesting story about someone like putting these little like. Um, 
uh, tracking dots on the, in the little set because when they move the camera, they wanted it. And this is before a lot of this could be computer controlled, um, at least in, in games. And actually in television, the computer control is pretty common. But um, it ended up just ruining the shot. Like they, they tried to like make things easier and then they ended up just like ruined a whole like weeks of work and they just kept falling behind the line and it just became, the, the, the concept just failed as a production concept. And so they, but they had, they still have all these hours of recorded footage or recorded um, uh, voice dialogue. And I don't know, think a lot of that's gotten out. And I don't know if the story has been fully detailed. I believe um, DC Fontana made a novel of the story. So, like, kind of some of it came to light. But, like, I, those noble failures are, like, so exciting to me. I love hearing about that stuff. Like, it's sad, I guess, but also they're, they're like, they're interesting stories, you know? Uh, and there's, a, there's a, like, you know, like that second board game. There's a couple of these along the way. Um, and the thing is, with a license like Star Trek, these kinds of failures get put down to history. Right, that's the difference between games like these that like get big production, they get a lot of effort, and then they just disappear into the mist because they never get released. There's some new IP, there's some unproven artist, there's some something that fell apart, some license fell through, whatever. But with the Star Trek versions of these types of projects, we still know about them because there's a the rabid fan base who's interested in this history, and so it makes me think about all the other types of games that had that were like this. How many? other like big ambitious projects got 5% in and just quit and then no one ever talked about them again you know yeah especially in that era where like technology was changing and wasn't really sure which direction a lot of games were going to go real time 3D uh, video uh, compositing like what, how would people how are PCs games well it's work? sort of like it's like it feels like VR now where like yeah well VR has been a thing for a long time and, but now it's getting to be a big thing people actually have them uh, but like, yeah, people are trying out new stuff with that all the time and failing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think there's gotta be a lot of like VR companies that are like closing up shop as we speak, um, because they made big bets and they had great ideas and that they, but they bit off more than they can chew. And I hope that, I hope people are keeping records of that stuff, uh, so we can learn from it later on, um, Okay, super sad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just think of how they might be able to reuse their ideas yeah. at some point, and it'll be great. It'll all be worth it. Yeah, yeah. hopefully. So there's two, a, a pair of games here I want to talk about that are both, uh, again, uh, this is around the turn of the century. These are uh, using popular game engines of the time, Quake 3 and Unreal Tournament. There was a Star Trek game for each of them. Um, one was a DS9 game, and one was a Voyager game. And they, ha- they very much mirror DS9 and Voyager in terms of the popular perception as well. So uh, this DS9 game called The Fallen was made in Unreal Tournament. Uh, this, was, this was published by Simon & Schuster. It was the last of theirs, which is weird. Um, it wasn't like an educational style thing. No. But, <laughs> uh, but it was a third-person uh, shooter, basically, in the Unreal Tournament engine. And, but it, invo- it involved the voice talents of almost all of the DS9 cast, <laughs> but very notably not Avery Brooks, uh, who played Captain Sisko. Um, and you can really tell. Um, <laughs> and all the character models are super Unreal Tournament. Like it looks, ooh, but you know, in 2000, maybe it was impressive. Um, but the story was uh, fairly interesting and, and complex for a game of its type. Uh, on the other hand, the, the Voyager styled game was made in the Quake 3 engine, looked a lot better because that engine was a lot better. Um, and uh, it was made by Activision. It's called uh, uh, Star Trek Voyager Elite Force. It was a first-person shooter where you played as a, security, a, a member of a security team and then Voyager got overrun by something and you had to shoot them all. Like, <laughs> that sounds like a Voyager sure. episode, right? Yeah, pretty, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Happened all the time. I love your melancholy about Star Trek Voyager because it was your favorite. <laughs> it, yeah. But you know better now. <laughs> 
Well, there's some really good episodes in there. Uh-huh, sure. <laughs> there are! <laughs> there were, that's true. Um, what was actually cool about Elite Force is uh, uh, even though it was kind of boneheaded, shoot 'em up kind of game, um, it, well, you were part of a squad, and uh, the squad was... Uh, squad goals. <laughs> Hashtag. <laughs> good. Um, the the good characters <laughs> were all minor characters. Some of them were already previously like like minor characters from the show who lent their voices, but all like lieutenants and low-level characters. And um, the, uh, it was uh, uh, racially and gender diverse as a, as a crew. And you as the main character could choose male or female for your character. And then you just got called Ensign Monroe. So it was, you know, just like a lot of games do now. So it's kind of, for its era, that's actually kind of unique. I, I don't know, I'd like to know how often that was. But, you know, Star Trek was pretty like 90s progressive in a way that like again like they're nothing being nothing new under the sun like uh people kind of forget sometimes and uh i i think they did a pretty good job with that even though it was kind of the game itself was pretty lame but uh in the the sequel to that game uh uh similarly had a bunch had a, a perfectly gender balanced uh supporting cast but the main character because they did more voice acting they just made a man a male which is like oh of course you did like you know <laughs> on a voyager thing really i know right Anyway, but I, I found it so fascinating that those games came out both in 2000 and they were the, the two sort of like, because in that time, Star Trek fandom was split between those shows because uh, they were very different. And then also <laughs> Unreal Tournament and Quake 3, <laughs> the two competing <laughs> engines. Uh, but they were also uh, the final games to use those engines uh, or, or among the final games to use those engines in that era. And it was the final Simon Schuster game. And I believe the Elite Force 2 was the final Activision game. That, that when they had that license. So uh, Star Trek games just dried up after that, like throughout the, oh, the 2000s, like pretty much nothing. Um, but in 2004, when I was in college, there's a, a Star Trek Online was announced. And now uh, Star Trek Online's been out for many years now, and it's, very, it's relatively popular. It's a free-to-play MMO. It's got a pretty good fan base. They do new content all the time. Like they're doing a new DS9 thing. I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they got all the voice actors coming back. It, but it's, it started out as a, a totally different game under a different company. Uh, it's called Perpetual Entertainment, and they just announced, okay, we're going to make a Star Trek MMO, and the, the world was not totally glutted with MMOs in 2004, and so it was kind of like, oh, this makes perfect sense. Star Trek is an MMO. They put out a website. They had a bunch of like renders that were just amazing, really uh, high-quality renders that everyone immediately was like, that's not going to make the final game. And I was in college at the time. <laughs> I was at the, in college at the time, and I was getting back into Star Trek because I had a T1 connection in my dorm room and could uh, download many episodes of Star Trek. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, I would love to be part of this game. So I spent a lot of time in these forums. Like, this is just personal memory time. Um, uh, like, uh, talking with other people about, like, what should this game be? And how, what would it be like to be part of Starfleet? What would it really? And we didn't know enough about MMOs to know like what the, because MMOs are so boxed in now, like they all have the same mechanics. Uh, I'm, maybe I'm not being fair, but like we didn't really appreciate the, the, those of us like commenting on this forums. Like we just had the possibilities and the company was very vague and over promisey about like the, the fully immersive experience you could have in the Star Trek universe. Like you'd start out at the Academy and you'd do a bunch of missions and you'd, you'd go through all four years of the Academy and then you'd graduate and you'd like be an ensign on a starship and you and 10 other people would crew a ship and it made it feel like, oh, you really are going to be this little piece of this big universe instead of what all MMOs want you to be, which is like the hero. Everyone's an equal hero in the universe, right? And they had to acquiesce to that eventually. But I remember tons of discussion about when they announced something like, oh yeah, we're going to have like an in-game economy for you to like buy trinkets for your character models and stuff. We're like, that's not Star Trek. And like also to upgrade your shuttles and stuff and you're going to use credits. And I'm like, and everyone was like, there's no money in Star Trek. <laughs> it's one of the main things about Star Trek is that there's no money, at least among humans. And that's a big deal in Star Trek. And I remember just all of us 
like we all thought this was important like when we were talking about it and uh anyway there's tons of conversations about these kinds of crazy things um like oh and you know uh, klingons are popular so let's make klingons playable it's like there are there's only one klingon in starfleet like we were i don't know we were just all up in arms about like how because they promised us this fully realistic like the feel of the real star trek universe and if they had just said here's a star trek coat of paint on a fun experience you can have with your friends everyone would have been like fine but like this, this sort of fan base sort of revolted and um uh, unrelated i'm sure the company folded as well <laughs> like, um and they ended up selling off of all of their art assets to cryptic uh, who then went on to make the actual star trek online so many of the concept art from that era did in fact make it to the final game and a couple of the concepts but it was a totally different game at that point and i stopped paying attention because 2004 when i was interested in this experience it wasn't until 2010 that that game came out oh wow yeah crazy right uh in 2007 is when the company gave up and so um i had probably stopped following it by then but i remember the announcement of them giving up i'm like well that makes sense like <laughs> <laughs> um but it, it it like the appeal of a license like that is so strong like i mean imagine if you can get if you martha if you could get control of like the mouse guard license i would pick that one necessarily <laughs> Redwall, yes okay okay, okay. <laughs> the only reason i play mouse guard is because because it, it's close to Redwall. close to Redwall. okay yeah. so Redwall then yeah that would be so cool yeah oh my god what i mean knowing the the would you jump at that the, the opportunity yes yeah you, you wouldn't be afraid of, of like not being able to please everybody and it fall falling apart like these things usually do i guess that's the lesson i'm trying to teach oh. <laughs> no man yeah go for it if you go out go out in a blaze of glory See, that's it i'm exactly with you if i was in an opportunity to steward a star trek something I, I would do it i don't care i would i would i would fail i would like i'd go bankrupt doing it i wouldn't care like, so sometimes you love things that much i mean holly is there anything you love enough to destroy your life trying to make <laughs> harry like, potter game yeah you know yeah if you talk to me 10 years ago, I would have thrown my life away for Harry Potter. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Did you ever play, this is off topic, but Harry, <laughs> Harry, the Harry Potter PC games? I played I the played, crap out of those. <laughs> I think I played the first one. It was trash. It was so bad. It was based on like the first movie and you had to like draw just cast that, spells you had to like draw certain shapes oh my shapes. god I had to have my dad do that because <laughs> I, it was so frustrating uh, I think I played some of the ones on PS2 as well plus like a Quidditch World Cup one as you were talking about all the different Star Trek games over the years I, I was just thinking I'm so glad that I wasn't a fan because my parents would have gone broke I would have had to I would have had to pursue all of those yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm I'm I feel lucky I didn't know about as many of them as I, as I yeah. would have because yeah same deal like there's so many of these slip my my notice because I really just played console games when I was a kid and then I stopped playing video games at the end of the 90s and didn't start again until like 2005 right so like I kind of I kind of dodged a lot of those bullets I guess yeah <laughs> but some of them reading about them now it seems so interesting I would have loved to have played the fallen when it came out just a new DS9 story in 2000 like I'd have jumped at that totally well it being so like yeah you, you can shoot a phaser right but yeah you you're talking about a a, a franchise that's so much it's about diplomacy it, oh, yeah. it feels like such I know that we're kind of over Telltale at this point but it feels like <laughs> that feels like the most natural fit okay yeah. that's the game I want <laughs> is a Telltale Star Trek game right? Telltale get on this <laughs> seriously that like yeah choosing dialogue options trying not to screw up some kind of big yeah. negotiation that's really that seems like the right fit right yeah and the games that have done that have done pretty well but uh, things are better now because the three Star Trek games that are active at the moment like, are all awesome. Um, the One's a board game, one is a uh, video game, and one is a role-playing game. 
We've talked about it all on the show before, so uh, I'm not at all sorry for bringing it up again because I like talking about these games. First one is Bridge Crew, which is a VR game where you, it's co-op. You, uh, f- uh, uh, you and up to four people on the internet, um, uh, friends or strangers, uh, sort of team up to take stations on the bridge and do a bunch of missions. And it's based in the continuity of the new movies, but it had an original series like classic enterprise uh, mode. So you could play like original Captain Kirk and coming out probably by the time you hear this episode, I believe will be the next generation expansion. So you can play on the enterprise D Martha. We're both very excited about that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now they just need to make, um, DS9's Ops and Voyager's Bridge, and I'll be very, very, so very, very I, happy. I, I, was looking at, I was looking at all these things last night, like pouring through all this information and just like having a total like n- nostalgia like explosion. And I did see the one of the one of the articles um, that talked about this this expansion for Bridge Crew at the bottom said like, oh yeah, and they're planning DS9 next. And I'm like, they're over reading into something. And they linked to a, a tweet from Ubisoft, which we'll put in the show notes, which was just Ubisoft saying like. You know, uh, get ready for the Enterprise D. What's next? Who can say? And then there's just a gif of the Defiant screaming by. Yay! And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, don't, don't toy with me, Ubisoft. Like, <laughs> I want nothing more than to captain the Defiant on uh, in Bridge Crew. That would be so much fun. And I think, like, that's the thing about like uh, Holly, you're saying about like, the types of games that are appropriate for Star Trek. This yeah. is totally one of them. But also the the Star Trek of the '90s that that we grew up with. Um. Like, it's old enough now. I feel like it's time to bring that stuff back in a way that doesn't feel, like, silly, right? Like, when Bridge Crew came out, I remember thinking, like, they could have done... I mean, those movies are already starting to wane in popularity, so it seemed like kind of a weird version of Star Trek to do. But I guess any other version would be kind of even weirder to do. But I guess I don't feel that way anymore. That aesthetic, that feel, those story, those characters... Like, I think that there's, I don't think you have to apologize for like building a flagship product around them the way maybe five years ago you might have thought it's like, I'm not, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I mean, all those old episodes are streaming on Netflix and stuff. And so like I've watched actor interviews and they've all been like, yeah, like we are suddenly getting all these new fans all of a sudden because people are watching on, you know, it's trending on Netflix or whatever. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's right. That's That's part of the reason why Netflix is distributing Discovery worldwide is because Star, Star Trek does so well on their service. And like also like all the Star Trek actors are on Twitter now and like there's like a whole new it is a kind of a, a an era of like visibility for for the people who made those productions and it's cool to see that filter down because that you know that's the Star Trek I grew up with so like that's the purest Star Trek to me. So it's kind of cool that that's people are getting excited about that again, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, Bridge Crew is amazing. Uh, we do VR nights here at Glitch, and one of the reasons I and I, I host that event, and the reason I started doing it is because I wanted to get four VR sets in a room to play Bridge Crew together. I haven't played it, and I really want to. Yeah. Like I having limited exposure to Star Trek, I'm just like I want I want yeah. part of that. You know, it's a good game too, and it you know knowing Star Trek helps you with the role play element. But it, uh, and Martha, you let me know if I'm if I'm just overinflating this. But I feel like it teaches you how to use the systems pretty well. Um, and uh, gets you in the spirit, even if you're not super familiar with Star Trek. So it kind of does a... I, I think so, anyway. You think so? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, so it's a good game. It's like Space Team. Yeah, it's basically like that. Yeah, I think you'd be a great captain, I think. <laughs> uh, that seems like a lot of pressure for a first-timer, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's a really good one. Uh, Ascendancy is one we've talked about. It was one of my nicest of 20-something. Well, it was maybe the first year or second year we did it. Um, it's a board game. It's a tactical board game. Martha's shaking her head. That giant smile is gone now. Um, <laughs> but it's a, it's a tactical uh, board game. It's like a 4X board game. 
um, where you play as different factions. And it takes for a, a, It does take, it's like a six hour game. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's real, it's real, real fun. You get, you get some potato chips out and you get snacks for everybody. Yeah, three separate meals <laughs> that time. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. All right. This is the wrong audience for it, but it's really good. Um, uh, uh, St- Steven loves it. You know, and he's he likes Star Trek, but like we we tease that like we like it way more than he does because we do. Um, <laughs> but he loves that, and actually that um, that game taught Stephen a lot about the the Star Trek uh, universe. It's a board game, right? There's no story in it at all, but the factions you play. Um, lean into the sort of the, the cultural elements of those different factions in the show? Yeah, it sounds really interesting. I just want it to be a video game instead. Yeah. I don't know. Like Sip. Yeah? Sort of. Maybe. Maybe that could be done. <laughs> big, big smiles back. <laughs> <laughs> now we're talking about Civ. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll blow past that one. Uh, the other one is Star Trek Adventures, which is just a t- tabletop role-playing game, pen and paper role-playing, uh, that Martha, you play with us. And um, is it's just like I don't know. It's a great system, and it it the 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 pre-made missions that they they send out um, really are in the spirit of Star Trek, like of um, of classic Star Trek, of like discovering an ancient alien ruin or meeting a godlike creature. Like a lot of those story beats, uh, it's definitely written by people who like understand the cliches of Star Trek, and sometimes that's really fun because when you I mean you role play with people, you can't get everyone to take it super seriously. So leaning into the cliches is sometimes the charm and the fun of it. Um, but uh, yeah. And then like next generation storylines that are about diplomacy and like, and like uh, maintaining uh, Federation colonies and all the little minutiae silliness that like that, that we as Star Trek fans like sort of, you know, uh, 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 gush over uh, making that uh, really interesting uh, group storytelling is kind of amazing um, in, in a way that is sort of also just as fun as like any D and D session. I think um, I love that game. But it's amazing that these three games are very different. They all came out like in 2016, 2017. Um, and it seems like a really cool era for Star Trek games because Star Trek games do not have a good reputation. <laughs> Most of the ones on, my, on this list are garbage. And that even was the ones the I theme. love. That yeah. was a common theme the whole time. I'm like, and this is trash. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Moving on. It's funny because like, it's yeah. such an accepted thing yeah. about Star Trek games that they're all bad. Yeah. That it's just you talk about them with like, oh, you take that as red. And then you talk about it uh, apart from that. But that's that's why it's really exciting with these ones, and and it just seems like a good time to be into Star Trek. So, um, you know, it's always a good time for me to be into Star Trek. But uh, Martha, <laughs> if any of these ideas of yours come to fruition, it'll be even better time, right? Well, I suppose the big one I want is yeah. a Telltale. Yeah, Star Sorry, Trek. I game. You. No, yeah. that's okay. <laughs> um, but I'd also I think it would be really cool to have a game where you play as Odo or one of the changelings who can, you know. And have that mechanic be part of it. We have to like solve puzzles by changing into different yeah. stuff. Would be Sneaking super cool. Sneaking aboard freighters and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, like there are so many opportunities for Odo to do like interesting stuff as, you know, like solve <laughs> problems in more interesting ways. Yeah. And he just is like, well, nope, I'm a human right now. So <laughs> yeah, I'm actually really impressed that the show got away with like, it not being like, wait, can't he just it's like? There's so many. Yeah, you're right. There's so. It's just like they only had so much budget to do that. To do that. Yeah. Yeah. Shift. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that would be really interesting. I'd love to have a. I don't know. Like the aesthetic of having it sort of Pokemon-y, like top-down mm-hmm. pixel sort of Star Trek thing would be fun. Like like we were talking about having a. Um, I guess a lot of my ideas have turns out have already been things yeah. uh, like having games where you have to like solve a mystery, like mm-hmm. those episodes where you had to solve a mystery. Um, I think it'd be cool to have a game where you have to sort of like link um, like uh, Orcarina of Time where you have to 
like jump back and forth between because oh, there's sure. so much oh, time yeah. travel stuff, especially in Voyager mm-hmm. uh, and some some in DS9 too, where you could like jump back to an earlier t- not you could like play an earlier part of the story yeah, and yeah. then like jump between you know and affect the future part. Um, yeah, really lay into the science fiction part of Star Trek that's not about space. It's yeah. just science fiction, right? Because the thing about Star Trek is Star Trek has done everything. Like, it's kind of a grab bag of science fiction ideas. And that's it's part of its strength and also why it sort of doesn't all hang together totally well. But, like, um, a lot of the games tend to be, yeah, they tend to focus on the space battles uh, or the, the character drama, but not as much the other sci-fi concepts. I would love to see something like that. Yeah. I would really like to see uh, uh, something like that where you relive a moment in, like, Star Trek history. Like, it'd be kind of a just for the fans, maybe. But, like, maybe you could do it without otherwise. But, like, it, you know... Um, you know, like the the Borg incursion, the, the when you know the famous uh, Next Generation episode, uh, Wolf three five nine, where the Borg come and try to destroy Earth and kidnap Picard and yada yada. Uh, summary available at Memory uh, Alpha. Uh, killed Cisco's wife. That's right. That, 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 that's like the that's like the uh, the moment where all of Star Trek kind of like comes out of. So like a, a lot of the characters flow through that moment in Star Trek history. I would like to see like some other take on that, like a, a story of like an Earth outpost or something that was waiting for that to come. Or something else like that, or a time travel plot where you have to prevent or cause. You know, there's lots of like science fiction stories about like, oh no, I have to cause JFK's assassination for the history to work out correctly. Like something like that would work really well in a Star Trek thing because there's tons of little like moments in Star Trek history you could pick that fans are also not that precious about. So you could you could twist them around a little bit as you want to, you know. (laughs) So just, but people are really precious about killing JFK. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean they are. But I know I just, that was the that was the story I was following. I was like, yeah, <laughs> it is too bad. No, it's, it's, the, the difference is, is that when you tell a story about JFK, you're not saying that like I'm changing the canon of right. the JFK story. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> That's the difference. Yes, yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. Mm-hmm. There's this game called The Yog. Either you played it. No, but I've heard about it recently. Yeah, because we were playing a game that was very like it at yeah. a hangout thing. Um, but basically what you do is you um, play as a character that then has to, you pick, uh, you can't control what the character does really, but you have to pick a place to go for a certain set period of time. And then something happens and you have to make one choice at that, one or two choices at that location. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be cool as the game... Uh, or like a, as a Star Trek game, like a tiny bite-sized Star Trek game. Yeah. Where yeah. you have to like go to the, like ops or go to like pick which where you're going to go mm-hmm. before the, I don't know, the bad guys come to the station. <laughs> what are they called? The Dominion? The Dominion. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Martha, we got any put you to the remedial DS9 viewing. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> I just couldn't remember their name because oh, okay. we've been talking about too many things. <laughs> I kept being like, Destiny, that's yeah. not right. That's, it starts with the D. <laughs> that would be pretty good for like um, you being a character and you make a, a choice as a character, but also you, you'd be like telling you the story and then you as you can make the choice as the narrator or something. Like, yeah. like someone comes up the turbo lift, is it Dax or O'Brien? Like, or something oh. like that. Like that'd be, I think as a, as, a, as a storytelling concept, I'm always, I'm really interested in that kind of role play, like, like video role playing game where it's not really about embodying characters but embodying the storyteller right i think yeah, Star yeah Trek that's would be interesting great for that. 
a Harry Potter game would really work for that too. I just like I really zoomed in. And I was like narration. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like I like Harry Potter as my my nerd cornerstone because yeah. it's been it's been so long since I've um really in life. I still I've kept all the books, of course, so I haven't reread them for a long time. The like play thing, the cursed child or whatever came out, and it was the first time that something new Harry Potter related came out, and I was kind of like, eh. <laughs> I don't really care. But even just you talking about it, I I can see how. It, I don't know. This it's not a good analog, but just like a little bit of Harry Potter would be enough to just like pull, suck me straight back in. It doesn't yeah. matter that I'm I'm a thirty year old adult. Like, <laughs> just, I'd be like, yeah, it's uh, Hogwarts. <laughs> I love potions class. <laughs> it's dangerous. So I have that. I downloaded that mobile game that people were talking about for a hot second, and I'm kind of afraid to play it because I yeah. think I would just I would get too into it. Doesn't it have like micro, microtransactions in it? Uh, probably. It's a mobile game, so probably. <laughs> yeah, and it was free, so probably. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know that um that VR game where you have to make potions? and stuff man if that had been branded as uh, snape's potions class oh boy oh, yeah. <laughs> it's super cool that actually would be terrible because he would be mean to you the whole time that's interesting about about licensing in, in games and maybe we can make that its own topic at some point in the future but um the idea of like the kind of story you can tell the kind of games you could do like flowing from the license. So a lot of these like, Star Trek examples, one of the reasons why they're bad is because they were this like mechanic that like Star Trek was glommed onto, or it was this Star Trek story that a mechanic was glommed onto, right? And neither was in service of the other. And the reason why these uh, more recent ones work so well is because they kind of feel like in t- put it in, t- in tandem. And if you removed the Star Trekiness of it, it wouldn't be as good, or it would just be totally different. Um, and I wonder if like about a lot of games when you think, oh, wouldn't this be great as of this game? Like how true is that all the time? And like in that, like that, like Snape's potions class, like you could give a ton of extra dimension to that because of the narrative weight that you bring with it. Like instead of it just being sort of a, a of a fun sort of VR activity, you can give it a little bit more depth probably than you would otherwise. But could you provide that depth in another way? Like I don't know, right? Yeah, I'm like as you're saying it, I'm mapping it out. I'm like, there's a kid that he picks on the most, and you can either like have a perfect potion, or you can go and help that kid. Oh. Yeah. See, there's all, like moral uh, dimensions. <laughs> already, you, you have a framework in which to tell a richer story. That's wild. Right? Yeah. I, I think maybe I just operate in fandom mode all the time. I'm like, I'll write a fanfic about that. Yeah. Ready. <laughs> that's really all this is, is this fanfic, right? <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. Maybe that's why all these licensing things are, um, in theory, really interesting to me. It's like, yes, I would love to play in someone else's universe where I don't have to have any original ideas <laughs> and I just get to make something brilliant with the stuff I already love. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that I love about um, all these VR games coming out for the bridge crew and stuff is for Star Trek is there's this scene in DS9 where um, Quirk, the bartender, has been tasked by a really creeper creeper dude to make a, a like hologram uh, thing of Kira. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so he's like sitting there. It's like cool cinematography too because you see it from his perspective like half the time where he's like trying to get this like camera shots of Kira and um, she just comes over and is like what are you doing (laughs) and he's like oh I'm just making a game a holodeck thing because people just want to like serve you know see what it is like in ops and like serve beside you and she's like doesn't believe it for a second (laughs) and she's like well 
uh, they can join the Joran military yeah, right. because then I can make sure that everyone has their clothes on. <laughs> but the thing is, is that I'm like, his description of his fake game that he's not making is just what I want. Yeah, like, yeah. that's all I want is to be able to, like, serve on ops with Kira. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, I would like bridge crew in ops would be a totally different experience because you're not on a ship that's moving. Right? It's true, but it's it's probably a stage manager in me because they're always like um, being like, "Oh, we have to like manage which docking this thing is going to," and you know, like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just oh. like a yeah, basically sort of a, a simulator kind of game. That would be actually kind of fun. Uh, that's yeah, the living in those worlds is is so appealing. And that, that's what makes it different from like a, a, a unique story. It's right. It's and there, there is something valuable about that familiarity and that 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 sense of presence that like doesn't let you off the hook to make a good game or anything, but um, gives you a framework with which to put it in, uh, give it a little extra to the experience. And yeah, like Star Trek doesn't have a great history of that, but it's getting better. <laughs> that's at that's maybe it's nice that the bar is low for yeah. any, anyone here who might, might want to grab that license and jump in it's yeah. like yeah everyone thinks these games are garbage so I'm good to go <laughs> yeah <laughs> like if I make something that's just not garbage it maybe doesn't even have to be that good mm-hmm. it'll it'll be good in the whole canon and the whole lineage of Star Trek games so yeah yeah <laughs> two thumbs up that's what that's what I really hope and I think Telltale has done a good job of this where uh, not that the Telltale games are small exactly; they're not super tiny, and they tell big stories. But like they they take a license and they don't purport to be license the game. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're like it's the Telltale game. Like, yeah. So it's a little corner of it or something, and then it gets to exist. It doesn't have the weight of the whole. Like this is the next installment for this thing, and I'd like to think that a lot of licensed games, if they're done right, can be just like little corners of those universes. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, or just like a little twist on a big part of the universe, but not have to like carry the weight of the whole thing, you know? And then that can hopefully lead to better products. A Stardew Valley set on Bejor with um, oh my gosh. the Jojo Mart guy being Kai Wynn. <laughs> Martha's not paying so attention to anything you say. Stardew Valley. Really, it's our job to just say a couple things just to give her time to think. Yeah, no. Because <laughs> like that would be kind of awesome. Just being like a Kava root farmer, like yeah. all day and all night. Yeah, I'd be into that. <laughs> and then, of course, sometimes you have to, you have to uh, fend off the Cardassians from yeah. time to time. <laughs> not everyone knows what we're talking about. <laughs> We should probably stop. Oh, I think so too. I mostly follow it. It was cool. <laughs> yeah, you're the judge. It's like, was this was this quality content? <laughs> yep. Okay, good. That's our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app and be sure to give us a good review if you liked it or a nice like us. We really do need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. We also want to hear directly from you, so follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club. Lastly, you can find out more about the show and your nice hosts, as well as get all the links and show notes from this and other episodes at nicegames.club. So, until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. It was like the game. It was. Um, uh, why do I keep ta- starting to talk? You were talking then- about uh, Star Trek. <laughs>
Thanks, Holly. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to join the list of people you don't like. <laughs> sorry. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make the impression that I don't Martha like Martha's intense. Uh-huh. <laughs> nice and name only. Oh, no. 